it's weird because you're like, that's not who I am, but it happens. I, it's like the Hulk, although yeah. I'm not, like, I'm way stronger than the Hulk, but, like... I was just going to say that. I'm like, <laughs> you would kick the Incredible Hulk's ass. Oh, Mark Ruffalo does not have a chance against me when I'm having an angry outburst. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking funny. Ah, ah, this is my podcast. Ooh, ah, ah, listen here, I'll make you laugh. Ooh, ah, ah. <laughs> Honestly, let's just cut it off there. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue is Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Ellison Daz. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, and welcome. I am happy to have you guys here with me today because you not only get me on this episode, you get an unreal co-host. I mean, technically, he is a guest, but he hosts his own podcast called The Mental Corner, an amazing Canadian mental health podcast. Um, So here to straight up shoot the shit with me today, uh, please welcome Harry Potvick, everybody. Potvin. God. Did I say it wrong? This is the second time in a day. <laughs> it's okay. It's the title of our recording, so it makes sense. It makes sense. I'll go by Pop Vic. I might even. <laughs> I'm leaving this in too. I'm not cutting this. <laughs> no, don't. Please. I'm going to legally change my name. <laughs> Could you please before this episode comes out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll try my best. I'll go see what they're saying. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Canada, as you know, is finally getting some warm weather. Which is very nice. Yeah, I'm really stoked about that. Although it's always so drastic, like it's either minus <laughs> yeah. thirty or a heat wave. So either, I mean, pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, like today I was like, oh, the weather's so nice, and then after you know, like ten minutes, I was like, I am sweating my balls off. Like this is <laughs> horrible. Like, can Canada just chill? I know. You walk outside and it's like, oh, finally, you know, the, the you know, we're in summer. It's summertime. And you walk out. I'm in pain. <laughs> My skin yeah, yeah. hurts. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> yeah, literally. I know I don't want to complain, but this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. It's like, just give us a medium, please. Vancouver has a really nice medium. I lived there for almost four years and they've got a nice medium. But the rain yeah. is is le terrible for the winter blues yeah no i bet my um i think half my friend group is moving out west which really kind of sucks but i don't blame them well i moved back so we can be friends now there you go you can replace them they're easily replaceable i hope they don't hear this i was just gonna say call them right now and tell them that they've already been replaced i really hope they don't hear this Do you want to start off by telling everybody a little bit about you and what brought you to creating the, what, top 5% of podcast in all the world? Like, aren't you the best one right now? The best one? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, in my, well, thank you. In my mind, I am. But that's just, you, you got to be competitive and you got to be confident about your own stuff, right? Oh, for sure. Um, and then you listen to, st- like, you know, the Joe Rogans and the whatevers and you're like, oh, wow, I am. I am just a small fish in a very big pond. <laughs> um, but, uh, but um, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think of where to start. So I guess my journey with mental health, really, uh, it kind of starts, you know, in that transition between grade eight and grade nine, um, just because, you know, my family was going through a lot of stuff. My parents were going through a divorce um, and I was the oldest kid. I was also the most emotional kid of my siblings. So I took it pretty hard. Um and then I was also the middleman. So I was relaying info, not just to my parents, from my parents to my siblings, 
but I was relaying info from my mom to my dad. And that can, uh, you know, that can take away your innocence as a kid very yes. quickly. Yeah. Um, and when I, yeah, when I was a kid, um, and you know, looking back, it's like whatever, but as a kid, these things are so drastic. And so, you know, as a kid, I, I loved Disney princess movies. I loved everything that wasn't really typical for guys to like. I loved, I loved that storybook, love tale, love fairy tale stuff. And I thought life was like that. And then when I got to grade eight and I, this whole thing kind of blew up in my face, I realized, oh, wow, the, the world actually sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, usually you grow up and you get that realization gradually. Um, I got it all within like a span of a couple months. Anyway, so that's kind of that's kind of where this all started. Um, and so, you know, not I was dealing with like some bullying at school because like I mentioned, I wasn't like the other guys. I was I'm not like the other guys. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I was very emotional. I loved insects and, you know, like going out and catching animals and bugs. Uh, I love Disney princesses. Like all the, I, I still have no interest in cars. Like I, I was very different from the guys in my class. So I got bullied fairly often. Um, so I was dealing with that. And then also this whole thing at home and I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. And, you know, grade eight, I think it was grade eight was kind of when, you know, the anger started coming out because I kept suppressing things. And that was kind of the first sign of things were going downhill. Um, but every time I would try to reach out to people, I was always met with, you know, like, how do you think that makes me feel? Uh, you should man up. You shouldn't feel this way. And so, you know, after one or two times, or not one or two, but after like, you know, a couple times of reaching out to people and getting the same responses, you kind of just go like, man, maybe that's it. Maybe I just need to man up. I'm just kind of a wuss. Um, and so I did. So I just kind of shut all those feelings down going into high school and just kind of assumed, you know, if my family's good, if my friends are good, if I can keep these two groups of people happy, then I'm good. Then I should have no problems. So I kind of put that mask on. I kind of became this happy guy at school and in my friend group. I wanted to make sure everyone was smiling um, and laughing. And it, in, in a sense, it kind of distracted me from what was going on. Now, I wasn't the best at hiding it behind the scenes. My friends all thought I was. But, you know, I was on the swim team. And when I was growing up as a kid, I would look up to all these terrible role models. I hope none of them listen, but I doubt any of them even remember me. Uh, but they would have a bad race or, you know, they would be upset about something. And their only reaction was to punch the lockers until their knuckles bled or cuss people out or like just bang their head against the wall. So as a kid, you know, figuring life out and trying to develop, you know, as my, my own person, I would look up to this and go like, oh, that's how you react when you're sad. I get it now. So then that's what I started doing. So whenever I was upset about things going on in my life or little inconveniences here and there, I, I blew up. And then, so I was kind of labeled a hothead for all of high school. Like I, that was just kind of, you know, a personality trait that kind of grew up, grew on me. I hated it. I was never proud of that. Um, and, you know, if you want to, we can get into like some, some instances, but anyway, uh, back to the story. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the good thing about high school was that there were so many distractions. So my, my routine was like, you know, you get up at 4am to go swim. After swimming, you go straight to school. After the eight hours of high school, you do rugby practice right after school, right after rugby, you go to swimming, right after swimming, you go do homework and you go to bed. And that cycle continued every single day. So I didn't have time to sit down and really think about what was going on. 
I, I didn't have time to register my own thoughts and or anything. And I liked that. I wanted to keep it that way because I knew that if there was, if I were to even open that door, I was screwed. So the longer I can distract myself, the better I'm going to be. Now, this worked for four years for throughout high school. It, it worked fairly well. Not, you know, some swimmers and my brother, they might disagree with you, but or disagree with me. Sorry. But, um, my friends at school, like no one thought anything different. Now, you know, once you get to university, uh, you're on your own yeah. and there's no more, there's no more distractions. I was still on the swim team at Guelph, but there wasn't the rugby practice. There wasn't the eight hours of school. There wasn't the parents monitor monitoring everything. Teachers weren't chasing after you over things. And so that's kind of the first time when I, like the first couple weeks of first year, I sat down and I was like, oh shit, like there's a lot to unpack here. And I didn't know how to deal with any of it because they don't teach you anything about this stuff. I don't know if it's changed because I'm not in high school, but growing up, like I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't know how to deal with depression. I didn't even know the word depression until I got diagnosed in my first year of university. So, you know, there were a couple signs here and there in first year. Um, I would get a couple bad grades on a midterm or an exam, and I would tell my friends I'm going back to my res, and I would bang my head on the wall until I went unconscious. Or, you know, I had these suicidal ideologies. Um, at first, they were just kind of passing thoughts. Like, you know, my res was across the street of the campus, and I was like, if I just walk at the right time, a car could probably smash me. And it's just like these passing thoughts that at first you're like, ah, it's not that innocent. It's, it's innocent. And then it does it becomes not innocent. So these were happening. And, um, and then I was having also the angry outbursts and the girl I was seeing at the time, she was like, you know, I, I, I think you should go see a therapist and my stubborn ass. I was like, no, like there's nothing wrong with me. And every time someone, you know, suggested something, I kind of shut it off because I don't like people telling me what to do. Um, you know, other, unless you're like a coach or a parent or a teacher or whatever, but yeah. you know, when you're an equal, I have a, you know, I'm, I was very stubborn. Um, but eventually I went and then, uh, they kind of told me that I had, you know, depression and anxiety. And like I mentioned before, I didn't know what those words meant. Um, but you know, doing some research and things like that, I kind of, um, was in denial about it because, you know, I remember going, like, looking back at high school, there were kids who had, like, schizophrenia, there were kids who had uh, post-traumatic stress dis disorder, sorry, or bipolar disorder, but there were very few and far in between that were actually open about it, and those ones that were open about it were kind of viewed differently, because no one really understood what was going on, and so they were kind of, you know, ostracized, I always yeah. fuck up that word. I That's okay. That. <laughs> we're forgetting Thank you. But that, that was, I was, uh, those people were kind of ostracized. And so, you know, remembering that and like going back to that mentally, I was like, I, I refuse to accept this. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not weak. Like depression is for weak people. It's for crazy people. I, I don't have any of that. And so, you know, I went to therapy a couple here and there a couple times. I have a lot of horror stories. Um, I went to six therapists that didn't work. And so, after each time, each time was one, one session. And then I would kind of just shut it off and go, you know what? I'm fine. Like the problem is just me. Like, I, I don't need this. Like, this isn't for me. I'm not weak. Like people who go to therapy. Problem was I was that guy. Um, 
And so, <laughs> like, and it took a couple years to realize that, but throughout university, through this, again, suppression of emotion, it creeped out here and there, but for the most part, I kept everything in. And, you know, at this point, you know, I, I started this suppression, you know, consciously, grade eight. So this is like, you know, if we're fast forwarding a little bit, this is like third year university. So that entire time I'm in denial. I'm refusing to believe that I'm this kind of person. But there are warning signs everywhere. And so, you know, if you fast forward a little bit to my last year of university, you know, things were really not going well. Um, I had a really bad back injury that kind of, you know, made my swimming career end the way I didn't want it to. Um, You know, the relationship I was in didn't work out. That's okay. But it was like the the suppression kind of stopped. Like I kind of, you know, every single distraction I had from the relationship to the swimming, to the job, to school, it kind of went away. And then all of a sudden, you know, this depression came full force and it's, it's a weird feeling to be suicidal. It really is because, you know, I loved my life and from the outside looking in, you would think that I had everything, you know, I was captain of the swim team at the time. I was in my fourth year of university. I had great family, great support system, but I didn't feel that way. And whenever a little inconvenience happened, I like I I had convinced myself like, you know what? It's okay. I'm not going to be here that much longer anyway. Um and I like I I was mentioning this at like a speaking event, but I remember um when when our swim team was doing a cheer and this was like early on in the year, we were doing one of our team cheers. And I remember looking around and like everything started to go slow-mo. And I was just like, man, this might be the last time I see this cheer. Like I, I was convinced of it. I was like, this is, I'm never going to see this cheer again. So I better enjoy it now. And that's how sold I was on it. And that's very scary. Um, looking back, it's terrifying because you find comfort in wanting to die, which is really upsetting. But no one knew because I, I didn't tell anybody. And then, you know, I had done a couple attempts to end my life within those four years. Um, none successful, of course, because I'm right here. But uh, <laughs> plot twist. But um, <laughs> but that last the, the last attempt, I remember it was different because for the other ones, all I had in mind was myself and how good it was going to feel to get out of here. But on this last one, I started thinking about my friends and started thinking about my family and how, like, you know, I would miss all of them and how, you know, people in my life need me here. Like, you know, that sounds kind of selfish, but like, you know, they need, they need me here. Yeah, they they love, they love me. Yeah. So I remember right after that attempt, it was like, man, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I really do. And so I, uh, you know, I went to get help, um, it took a lot. My friend uh, on the swim team, she walked me to therapy, which was, man, that was, it was so important because I was never going to go. Um, and she just noticed something was off, talked to me and then walked me, held my hand to therapy. And that's kind of what started the whole recovery process. I met with my seventh therapist who was a freaking angel. Oh, um, God, that's best great. therapist ever. I, it was, I'm so thankful. Um, so she, she kind of started this whole recovery 
I got on antidepressants, and we can get into that because it's a whole trial and error. Oh, um, I know, I know. It's, it's brutal. It's such and a they don't ride. tell you, and they don't tell you. Um, but so I started doing that. I started doing the self work. I started opening up more to my really close friends and my really close family. And then I got asked to come on to a men's only mental health panel at my university. Ooh. And they had asked me because two years prior in my second year, I got interviewed by U sports, which is like the national organization for sports in universities. I got interviewed for bell. Let's talk day. Um, but in that article, it was like, you know, I, I'm sad sometimes and I went through this, but I'm good now. But I wasn't because two mm -hmm. years later was the worst depressive state I've ever had. Um, so I was never really honest in those things. And I think the main reason why I wasn't honest was because I was worried about, you know, what was my family going to think? What were my friends going to think? What, like, would people walk on eggshells when they were near me? Um, and so the week prior to this panel, I didn't write a thing down because I was too scared. I was like, I don't want, I don't even know if I want to be honest. I might just go up there and be like, Hey, I'm sad. It's all good. Um, and not go into detail about anything. Um, but then the day before I was like, you know what, I'm done like hiding this. Like it, it's ridiculous that, you know, I've all, I almost took my own life and I'm still like, you know, I'm getting the help and I'm still ashamed of what happened. Like I'm usually a pretty open guy, except for when it came to mental health. So I, I was frustrated and I was like, you know what, I'm going to lay it all on the line, whatever happens. I mean, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So I was sitting there. And it was in front of 300 strangers. Um, I think there were like six panelists. I could be wrong about that. They were all incredible. Um, and, you know, there were a couple people that I knew in the crowd, but for the most part, it was strangers. And I remember sitting there with the mic and I was like, man, this, this is, this will change everything. Like I felt it. And then I blacked out. Uh, I don't remember what I said. If it wasn't for cameras, uh, I would not remember. Really? <laughs> Yeah, it was like a seven minute presentation. And I guess, you know, my brain went into shock mode. And I just don't remember saying anything. Oh my God. Um, but thank God I wrote it down. Um, but um, I remember afterwards, you know, after the round of applause, and after everything was done, I remember how good I felt. And it felt like this weight was lifted off. And, you know, for weeks afterwards, people were reaching out saying like, you know, this helped me so much. My friend went through something similar, my boyfriend, my family member, me, like, and then that's when I kind of, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, and we hear it all the time, I realized that I wasn't alone in this. And it's like the corniest saying in all of mental health advocacy, like you are not alone. And every time I hear it, I roll my eyes still, even though it's true. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of when I realized like, that is very true. Like everyone goes through something. And this little voice in my head that kept, kept nagging me, about like, you're different, you're weird, no one's gonna like you if you open up. That was all a bunch of bullshit. Um, you know, my friends, my relationship with my friends got stronger, with my family got stronger. The relationship I had with, you know, the athletes on my team got stronger because I was worried, you know, would they view me as less of a captain if I opened up because no other captain had done it on the swim team before. And all of these relationships got stronger. And so I was like, you know what? more people need to know this, like more people need to, you know, share their stuff. And obviously I didn't know about the world of advocacy at this point, but I was like, more people need to share their experiences with mental health because there are so many people like me 
who, you know, externally have everything, but internally feel so empty and lonely. Um, and they need to hear this. So I wanted to start a YouTube channel to kind of, you know, share my experiences. And then, uh, um, you know, my friends were all on board, but my parents, and they had my best interest in mind. I love my parents. They're super supportive, but they were worried because they were like, when you do this, when you open up about all of this on YouTube, like are employers going to view you differently or as less of a candidate or are people going to view you as less of a person? Because that's just the environment we grew up in and they were kind of worried about it. And yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a valid worry, but that's kind of, that worry was why it was really what pushed me to do it. I was like, you know what, the fact that I can't be open about my internal struggle because I'm worried that someone's going to hire me or not based on it, that that's got to stop. I was like, come on, that's, that's a bunch of crap. Like, if you don't want to hire me, then I don't want to work for you. If that's how you view it. Like, I'm a great and employee. one more time for the people in the back. Yeah, preach. <laughs> um, but like, so that's kind of what started it. And then, you know, I got on YouTube, started sharing my stories. And then my best, one of my best friends, he lived in the room next to me in the same house. And he was like, let me come on for an episode. And we filmed an episode about swimming and sports and mental health. We just kind of shot the shit like we're doing kind of now. Yeah. Um, and it got great reception. And then, you know, it got like some people saying like, thanks, this really helped. And then I was like, you know what? I love talking to people. I want to, you know, share stories. So maybe this is what I'll do. And then it kind of took a mind of its own. And the rest of the channel kind of stopped. <laughs> um, I thought this was just going to be a side project, but it became the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, as the episodes with people coming on got longer, people were like, we love you, but we don't want to be on YouTube for an hour and a half. And I was like, yeah. that's fair. So then in October of last year, I converted to podcasts and it, yeah, that's where that long winded answer to your question, but that's kind of what started the show. <laughs> An important long winded uh, answer, if I may add. It is funny though, right? Because YouTube, uh, an hour and a half on YouTube is a long time, but an hour and a half in podcast world is like, oh my God, what? That's it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. It's so nice. Me too. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I have a um, a question for you that I genuinely really want your take on because right now, I think it's more important uh, than ever for men specifically to be open about their, their mental health, right? Because yeah. it's uh, women, we're doing a fine job. And I think now it's time to kind of let, let men take the, the front seat, I think. I mean, mental health overall, but specifically men, because I'm not a dude, so I could, I'm speaking for men, so you can correct me at any point. But <laughs> yeah. you guys are, and I'm doing bunny ears, by the way, for you guys listening. You guys are supposed to be the, the strong ones, mm -hmm. and you guys are supposed to be the protectors and the providers, and, you know, are, you know, that's what you're supposed to be like um, as a man. So how do men who are struggling with mental health open up about their mental health and still be able to be that strong man for other people? Because I think maybe some people get confused with that thinking like, oh, if you open up your week, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily the case at all. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, 
before I even answer the question, you got to find the right people. Um, you know, sometimes we surround ourselves with toxic people and we don't even notice it until something happens. Totally. And you know, if they're not, if they're not willing to listen to you or be open about what you're going through, then you got to cut those people out, like seriously, straight up, even if they're family, like it's, it's a tough decision to make. But anyway, like, you know, for me, I was super thankful because my friends all were very open and willing to help out. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's important to remember. And, you know, I love the cliches. I love hate the cliches in the mental health world um, because they are so true, but sometimes it's overdone. Um, but, you know, the cliche where it's like, you know, you're stronger for opening up as opposed to keeping it in like that. That's really true. And I think yeah. it's important for guys to understand that is like, you know, in my situation, like I was the captain of the swim team. I was an athlete, like, you know, people view athletes, not just male athletes, but athletes in general, they view them as like bunny ears here. The suit, like the superheroes, like they, they're not, they're not bothered by anything. They, 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 they're mentally tough. They're going through all this. So of course it's terrifying to open up. And as a male athlete, it's even more terrifying because you've got the male side of it. But, you know, in my situation, when I opened up, everyone realized like, you know, your relationship with your teammates gets stronger because you're open and you're honest and people want authenticity. Like, you know, putting up that hard shell, it looks tough on the outside, but really like, do people like that? I don't think so. Like, you know, when people were acting super tough, when other captains and whoever ahead of me were like acting super tough and like never showing emotion, like, you know, that's, I don't know. Like to me, if you open up, you're stronger than if you keep it in. And that's not to say like, you know, if you're afraid to open up, then I mean, you know, we'll figure this out. But if you're worried about opening up because you're going to think that people view you as weaker, that's... I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the narrative's changing. I think, you know, more and more men and women are opening up about their struggles. And, you know, it, 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 it's a really strong thing to do to open up and be honest about vulnerability. Yeah, I totally agree with you too. And from like a female's point of view, some of the best relationships that I've had with dudes were with the ones who would say, Oh, I, you know, hey, how was your day today? And my boyfriend at the time would be like, oh, you know what? I was feeling down today. And, oh, really? Why? You know, I think it's because of X, Y, Z, this, this, not. Okay, well, what can we do about that? Like, what? And having that five minute, just little, you know, work through that, you know, it's not a full blown therapy session, but at least having that um, opportunity to speak how you feel, tell me for real like real shit did you have a shit day i want to hear you had a shit day and let's work yeah. through it so that you know it's not not uh, playing pretend per se because that mm -hmm. to me be having that ability to go and um, push through those thoughts because they're painful you know when you have to Oof. confront them they're so painful you don't want to do it and that's Awful. what i think makes a man exceptionally strong is to be able to recognize it see understand that it is painful and still choose to open up and talk about it yeah no i completely agree it, it's it's the hardest thing in the world man like a regardless if you're a man or a woman opening up about you know what you're struggling with mentally it's like because you can't see it 
so and there's still a lot of people there's so much stigma around it where it's like you know well you don't feel that way look you've got everything like stop being such a baby it's like well I don't want that to be my reputation so it is it's so intimidating yeah yeah I couldn't agree with you more I really, really enjoyed um, the, I had JT Wahlberg on the show. I love that guy. And, um, oh, yeah, he's unreal. Like, he's a sweet dude. Yeah, shout out to JT. Yeah, JT, his book, um, I Almost Died Getting Sober, is available and highly recommend. I listened to him speak first before I had met him on your show and um, uh, had the chance to have him come on mine. And listening to him talk about... uh, the mental health aspect specifically with addiction and him saying now um he's like what like seven years sober i think yeah um he is a sweet dude so open so vulnerable about the craziness that goes inside his head and instantaneously because he is open about that i think in my head i want to hang out with you like yeah. you can yeah. <laughs> like you can like, apply that to to anybody i meet in life even if it's the first time I'm meeting someone and they're like, oh, and they just tell me the truth, like, really, what are you feeling? And we just have that sit down chat, like, nine times out of 10, I would want to see you again. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel like the, these types of conversations create connection now, at least, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I feel that. When you were in um, grade school and you were having those fits of rage, um, what were you most fearful of about having to open up the can of worms was it the judgment or was it like what was the thought in your head I know it was a long time ago but do you remember there being a thought that you were scared of um yeah so I think the biggest thing like honestly I think that in terms of opening up you know I had been bullied for so many years and like it's not a boohoo thing. Like people get bullied, but you know, I had been bullied for so long that in grade school, you know, people are already calling me, you know, gay, like a, a, like a, a pussy, like these things. They're all already calling me that without me opening up about anything. So I was worried that you know, if I were to open up and be like, "Hey, I'm I'm having a really tough time here," that would be enhanced like tenfold. So I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna get bullied even harder than I am now. Not a chance." I'd rather just have this persona that like, you know, isn't me and that people like, because I had done acting as a kid and I was like, you know what, I'd I'd much rather act for the rest of my life than be honest about how I felt. But I think, I think the biggest thing that I was afraid of, honestly, it wasn't even the fear of opening up. I was afraid of myself, like when I was having those outbursts and this translate, like it wasn't just grade school. It was a high school. It was university. Like when I would have these angry outbursts, I would black out kind of like I did when I opened up in front of the panel. I wouldn't remember what I did. So I would black out in this fit of rage and then come to and my knuckles were bloody. My head was bruised. Like people were kind of stepped back. Like I remember in university, my, my girlfriend at the time, she like, you know, I, I blacked out and I did like, I think I threw a water bottle at the wall and it exploded everywhere and on these people. And I came to and she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, man, like, I don't know. I don't remember. That wasn't me. So I was really afraid of whoever that was. 
and it, it was it was a weird it's weird to be afraid of yourself it's it's weird because you're like that's not who i am but it happens I, it's like the hulk although yeah. i'm not like i'm way stronger than the hulk but like i was just know. gonna say that I'm like you would kick <laughs> the incredible hulk's ass Oh, Mark Ruffalo does not have a chance against me when I'm having an angry outburst. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking funny. That's really fucking funny. I had, um, too, the same thing. I didn't want to inter- interrupt your story, but I had the same experience with the suicide ordeals in, yeah. I don't know, high school was totally fucked for me. And even into the first couple of years of college. But there were times when I would be doing the same thing where I'd be walking from my house to like cross the street to get groceries or some shit. And a transport truck would be coming and be like, I could just throw myself in front of that. Like I could just do that and it would all be over. But it would just came and it was not even like, there was a lot of heavy emotion attached to it in those moments. It was just like, Hey, here's an idea because you feel like shit. And that looks like a solid out, you know? And then it, but it, it is weird because that's how that's how it starts yeah they're like little passing things that don't really have much weight to them and you're just kind of like ah, that's not going to bug me in the long term and then they build up yeah it's it's a straight i don't even know if i've talked openly about that before (coughs) i'm getting scratchy throat because i'm nervous um before on the on the podcast but that is such a weird relationship to have because then you start not recognizing at least how i felt not recognizing yourself for a bit and then the thoughts the 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 stressy and depressy thoughts if they happen frequently enough then i just think what happened to me was that i started associating myself as them you know what i mean right. like okay yeah. well if i'm thinking about this all the time that must be that this is me that must be you know this is my reality and one of the things that helped me through that Mind you, I was also, I only just got diagnosed with ADHD like a year and change ago. So uh, a lot of this was like on misdiagnosed for my entire life. So it might not have been depression. It might have been a byproduct of that, but it was still fucking there. And, you know, you feel crazy, like a totally crazy person. I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I was... I was in that. But what I was going to say, sorry, was that the what changed for me is, uh, one, getting um, the right diagnosis, and then two, finding books and, like, literature and podcasts and uh, movies, YouTube, YouTube stuff that where people let you know that, hey, your thoughts aren't you. They're two separate mm-hmm. things, first of all, so you can sift through them. And that, to me, was, like, the most mind-blowing thing because I thought whatever was going on in my head was was me you know what i mean yeah did you ever did did you ever or can you now separate separate yourself from that or what does that look like for you oh yeah for sure like i think i think the biggest um thing for me anyway was like i just didn't know how to handle anything like i just kind of took it as it came uh and just kind of rode the wave because i was never taught how to deal with these things um but you know through therapy self-help again the internet is great in that sense where resources are everywhere. Um, even if you don't, if you can't afford therapy or don't want to go to therapy, you've got tons of podcasts or YouTubes or anything to help you through this. Um, are they all qualified? Probably not, but I'm sure you can find some. Um, but basically, uh, you know, I had an experience 
in the pandemic, actually, uh, because these thoughts, you know, through all the help and, you know, the exercises and the daily routines I do now, like they, they come up fairly often or fairly unoften. They don't come up fairly often. I guess that's how you say it. Infrequently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Whatever. You infrequently. Want Great yeah. word. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, they come up infrequently, uh, but they do come up. And I remember there was one day out of the blue, you know, that voice came back and was like, Hey man, you should probably kill yourself today. Like just because, um, you know, whatever it was, the lack of sleep definitely didn't help. The stress didn't help, but it was just an accumulation of things. And then this voice came up and, you know, for, for a while I, you know, I was panicking that day, you know, I was crying a lot that day just because like, you know, how could this happen? Like, you know, I, I thought I had gotten rid of this voice and then, you know, the self-help comes in and the therapy comes in, it kicks in because you know how to deal with these things now. And you kind of just realize like that is just a passing thought. And what my therapist told me to picture it as is like, you know, a little gremlin on your shoulder. And like every time, you know, I would have like, I would feel the need for an angry outburst or I would have this voice telling me I should end my life. She said, picture it as a gremlin on your shoulder, acknowledge it's there, and then just kind of kick it off. Flick him the fuck away. Flick him the fuck off because it's there. (laughs) It's a real thing. You shouldn't not acknowledge that that voice happened, but you cannot give it any more power than that. Absolutely. And then that has been a huge game changer for me. Wow. That's a really good one. I like that one. Um, what For anybody that's listening to this podcast today and they're, you know, going through a period of depression in their life, what advice would you give to them? Man. Um, you're not uh, alone. This, yeah. You're never alone. Reach out. You are loved. Ugh. <laughs> God, like we know, <laughs> like, like I but knew you're I actually was not. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, like I knew I was loved the whole time. Like it didn't help any anyway. That's not relevant. But I don't know if this is advice. But basically, what I would what I, what I would say to people, and I'm kind of you know visualizing myself, you know, in the past. It's gonna be hard, man. Like, but it's worth it. You know, as cliche as that sounds, it's worth it. Now. It's going to be hard in the sense like you're going to expect that happy pill or you're going to expect that first therapist to work or you're going to expect this to go like go away in a week. That's not going to happen. And, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it for anyone because, you know, I see it on Instagram. I see it everywhere. People sugarcoat it. It's, it's just not that there's a lot of trial and error that takes place. Um, you know, with medication, it, the first one I was on was horrible for me you know, with physical reactions that like, you know, my heart stopped beating, like my brain flatlined, like it it was just horrible. Um, the second one worked great. You know, I went to seven therapists. The first six were horrible, (laughs) but the seventh one saved my life. You know, it's all about trial and error and not just there, but friends, if they don't want, if they're not willing to help you cut them out, It's a trial and error of seeing who friends and family are, therapists, medication, everything. It's all a trial and error. There's a ton of self-help out there and not everything works for everybody, but there is something out there that works for you. I promise you. And you just got to keep doing the trial and error until you find it, but don't give up through that trial and error. Don't like, don't be so hard on yourself and don't expect that happy pill right away. Like you'll get there. Just keep going. Seriously. That That is really great advice. 
Yeah. Do you host a podcast or anything like that? No. <laughs> no. Uh, yes, I do. Um, is this where I plug? Is this my shameless I was a, plug? It was, a, I was, it was a bad joke, but yeah, I do want you to plug. <laughs> I do want oh, you to plug. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, where can people find you? Because your yes. show was amazing. Please let oh, them know. thank you. God, thank you. Um, so I'm mostly active on Instagram. I have Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, but I am so inactive on there. It's not even worth a follow. Um, <laughs> so hit up that IG. Uh, it's at the mental corner. Um, I'm trying to get those numbers up. I love Instagram and I love connecting with people. Uh, and then my podcast is called the mental corner podcast. You can find it anywhere. Um, you know, most of my success is on Apple podcasts, but it is on every platform. Um, and if you are listening, if something today resonated with you, if you're going through a hard time, I've been told I'm a great listener. Don't, I'm not a professional by any means, <laughs> but I have a great ear and I would love to hear you vent. So my DMs are always open. My email is probably somewhere. Some people always get it somehow. I don't know how, but, um, you know, shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are going to listen to the podcast, a stream, a download, a five-star rating, a subscribe, all of that helps me and it takes five seconds. Um, so I would really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And, and, you and leave him a really nice comment too, and give him all of the stars. And if you have multiple accounts, do it from every single account that you have. Yeah, yeah, right? you better. Basically. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. That would be or very nice. We'll find you. <laughs> I will. I know where all of you live somehow. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Harry. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You have to do this again sometime. I was just going to say, would you be open to coming back on? No. Okay, great. I'm going to this mutual. Okay. <laughs> I hated this. Yeah, this is a terrible time. <laughs> no, of course. I'd love to come back on. That's fantastic. That makes me happy. That makes my heart warm. Thank all of you guys. So I know I get a little too much. I, I, I held it in pretty good this episode. But now we're back to getting excited. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today and listening. If you take anything away from this podcast, please know that you seriously, seriously are not alone. Harry's DMs are open. My DMs are open. And please remember that your blue is beautiful. Thanks, guys. Peace. Here's my outro. I hope that you like this podcast. Here's my outro. I hope that you laugh. Oh, we're still going. Da, 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 outro. Here's my outro. Uh, something that rhymes. <laughs> Shit, hold on. You're going to have to edit this. I forgot what I was going to say. I love this for us. And Fuck. you know what I'm going to do? This is really bad. I'm going to, I know, I'm, I'm being weird too. I, I'm going to cut at all these little tidbits out and I'm going to put them at the very end of the podcast perfect right Thank after you. the outro that's great um I, I can't wait for people to hear how unorganized i am mentally um oh it's fine on my show they expect nothing true <laughs> true um oh shoot what was i gonna say oh yes jesus i'm never this bad anyway okay i got it i got it now okay um uh, i i had a great point before i started talking it's okay. I edit this after too, so. Thank God. No okay. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I got it back. Um, I was fine. The problem was, what was I saying? Uh, the problem was, shit. Hold on. Welcome to my life. Fuck. <laughs> Um, okay. wait, what was I saying right before that? So I went to all the therapists. I had horror stories. 
six therapists, you only ever saw each one of them once because you'd go one time and then you're like, okay, I'm fine. The problem is... Oh, yes. Okay. Listening to him talk about the... I forget what I was going to say. Thank God we edited this after. Hold on. <laughs> I know, right? Oh. Oh. What was I going to say? Harry, help me. Uh, you were talking about JT opening up about his struggles, listening to him opening up. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's what I was going to say. So, circle back. <clears throat> Maybe edit that out, future Ellison does. <coughs> Let me clear my throat and take a deep breath. <sighs> oh, I guess I should ask this. Do you also film audio so I don't look stupid? Oh, no, I don't. Or, sorry, video. Video, video. no. No, I don't. But you look okay. great. Your hair looks great anyways. Thank you. I love how you knew what I was saying, even though I said the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What's that? Maybe we were just operating on the same wavelength today. Yeah. And the juice box is clutch, too. Thank you. Yes. You got to get that vitamin C. <laughs> yeah. 